everyone! Our World Bank EdTech team is speaking with educators globally to learn how they're innovating. Today you're listening to a conversation with Stéphane Vincent Lacron, Senior Analyst at the OECD Center for Educational Research and Innovation, and Cristobal Cobo, World Bank Senior Education Specialist, about our joint initiative between the World Bank Group Education Global Practice, the OECD Directorate for Education and Skills, the Harvard Global Education Innovation Initiative, and 100 to collect stories from countries around the world about the solutions their education systems are using and how they're adapting to different student and teacher needs during the coronavirus crisis. Welcome to the World Bank EdTech Podcast, a conversation in the use of technology, innovation, and education globally. My name is Cristobal Cobo. I'm the Senior Education Technology Specialist at the World Bank. We are very pleased to have with us today, Stefan Vincent Lacran, Senior Analyst at the OECD, Center for Education Research and Innovation. Welcome, Stefan. So we are very happy to have you here. I would like you to briefly introduce yourself. I've been working on education for over 20 years. First as an academic, then at the London School of Economics, and then I joined the OECD to work on higher education and innovation. The OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, it's an intergovernmental organization of 37 member countries, which works to advise on better policy making, making policy reviews to recommend better courses of action based on international expertise and also developing standards, especially statistical standards. We have good comparative international standards. I'm a senior analyst and deputy head of the Innovation and Measuring Progress Division at the Directorate for Education and Skills at the OECD, which means that I'm in charge of a portfolio of projects of the Center for Educational Research and Innovation, focusing on how to transform an education through 21st century skills, creativity and critical thinking. My role is to promote research and future thinking and put uh, upcoming trends on the policy agenda at the OECD. I have a project on digital technology in education, which looks at how AI, learning analytics, robotics, blockchain could transform education and also work on indicators, how to measure innovation in education. OECD, Harvard University, 100, the Finnish agency and the World Bank are working together in a partnership, coalition, collaboration between organizations. This is a partnership between two big intergovernmental organizations, the World Bank, which focuses on lower income countries, the OECD, also an intergovernmental organization of 37 member countries, usually with higher income countries, two organizations that focus more on non-governmental initiatives, Harvard, Global Education Innovation Initiative, as well as 100, an NGO in Finland that tries to improve education through innovation by sharing the results of innovation through a lot of different types of output. What we tried to do when we came together when the school closure started is to bring together those networks, governmental, non-governmental, bring together some of our expertise to share very quickly lessons and initiatives that were going on do a survey to see what's happening within different countries, bring together all the different guidelines, that the World Bank guidelines, on TV, on radio, as well as some of the OECD guidelines and policy briefs, so that countries in different places and governmental and non-governmental stakeholders could learn from each other very quickly, get inspired and do things together. 
One of the new things that we've started with the World Bank, Harvard, 100, is a series of what we've called the Education Continuity Stories, which are a documentation of interesting initiatives that were going on in different countries to ensure pedagogical continuity. We have published 35 education continuity stories covering 24 different countries, and we probably have a dozen more in the pipeline, and invited 10 ministers of education to our webinars, ministers from Egypt, Spain, Colombia, Brazil, Turkey, and we have more coming. The education continuity stories emphasize the implementation process so that people could see when reading those stories what they can adapt to their country, what they can do. Do they have the resources that are needed for that? Do they have the resources to develop some new aspects? What they can do in their own context to make this happen? Our webinars, the ministers of education present what they have been doing and discuss not only what they've done, but the challenges of doing it. And so we have invited the minister of education of Egypt, the secretary of the state of Sao Paulo, the Minister of Education of Turkey to discuss all these different things and many others. Spain, Colombia, Egypt has changed its ways of assessing and shifted to project assessment compared to its old way of doing. Peru was interesting because they had little experience of remote learning, so they put everything very quickly. They implement a high-frequency monitoring, which is not very common. They developed very quickly a very strong TV education program. They did it in a very comprehensive way with a multi-channel, multi-model aspect of it. They asked teachers to be a very active part of the solution. Saudi Arabia held his exam using a proctoring system. In the case of Sao Paulo, they've extended the education period so that they have time to develop their strategy. And they've put in place a multimedia center where people would, based on TV education, teachers would look specific lessons and then go discuss them with a class, obviously remotely. And so that, in fact, they have this common infrastructure to do it. They've also supported the families with social welfare by extending some of the ground that they were giving to the, the poor families. This has been really a very interesting journey, and it's not over. We're continuing to share all this information as the pandemic is continuing as well. Our partner 100 have done a story on the way that the Finnish TV has put in place a new... TV platform during the crisis. They worked with innovative teachers in Finland that they had identified for YouTube channel to develop the right content, to create it, cut it. They have also developed some new pedagogies to support teachers in using these TV programs for educational purposes. A US platform that was put together very quickly through not-for-profits and for-profits had a very interesting way of sharing all the resources that vendors had put together and working with a, an association which is specialized in advising parents. For example, they will tell you uh, if this movie is for 14-year-old or 16-year-old or 8-year-old or if this show or this book, etc. And they've done exactly the same for the curriculum. They've supported the parents by giving them a daily schedule of what type of activities they could do to help them organize themselves, invited a few celebrities to record some new videos, basketball stars, actors, performers. So that was also a very nice original way to do it. These things don't happen usually. That's because uh, it's difficult. We have legal challenges of doing that. And so they've just managed to do it very quickly by keeping everything on the different websites they were on so that they wouldn't have to sign any complicated documents. That in itself is a very interesting way to think about speed.
All the resources that we are developing are published under a Creative Commons license so that people can translate and really use them the different ways they want. They're all available on the World Bank website and on the OECD website. You can find all the different education continuity stories. You can find all the recordings of the webinars. You can follow the one that will be coming. We're planning to, at some point, bring them together in a joint report, which would make them more easily available to everyone. And also will be a document that will be there to know what people have been doing and all the good energy that went on to support education continuity during the crisis. I think it's fascinating that organizations with slightly different agendas, they join in this partnership and joining leadership and the communities that they serve. We have in this partnership academic, non-academic, civil society entities, a significant amount of resources that have been produced only in a few months. If we consider the pandemic hasn't been way longer than six months, it's quite amazing what this partnership is providing. Thank you for all your contributions. All these challenges are being discussed through these different resources. What have you learned? Certainly the pandemic has given rise to a wealth of partnerships, of public-private partnerships, Many things that we were saying were very important, but that was more difficult to make happen in normal times. There was an incredible energy of innovation, great leadership that people really try to do something. That it is really one of the positive, less positive. There was a huge digital divide that even in OECD countries, in richer countries, one of the things that most countries have had to do was to distribute devices to a significant number of households. We were not prepared for it. There was a total lack of preparation for remote teaching and remote learning in schooling. Of course, higher education is much more prepared because that's one of the different modes that they are used to using. We have rediscovered the importance of schooling as a place and not just as a learning institution. One of my projects is about AI, learning analytics, and all these things bring something new to education and is going to transform education in some ways. We've learned during the crisis that we were very far from that. We were at a much more basic state of technology in most countries. Many of the solutions were technological, digital. Many of the solutions that were deployed were relatively low-tech technologies rather than high-tech. It's not that suddenly AI robots did a lot of things to but it was more using TV as a solution, radio, WhatsApp as a way to continue to interact, and also online platforms. It really showed that if we think of the future, there is still a gap between the vision and concern of many policymakers and the reality on the ground. This is such an important aspect. For years and years, the integration of technology for learning has been supported by the idea of disruption and the more transformative technological solutions. The tools that are really providing support in this moment are very old technologies like radio and television. But they've been reinvented. Now we have interesting combinations of technology. Mm -hmm. It's no longer just TV. It's TV plus the possibility to watch the videos again on website, follow up through WhatsApp or other kinds of texting messages, YouTube channels, there is a bit more interactivity. New solutions to the old critiques of those technologies, which tended to be one-way technologies have tried to be put in place and has shown the importance of teachers. In most places, the teachers have remained really involved. That was not this idea that they would be replaced by technology, including TV and radio, but that this would be a means to 
allow for education continuity, but with teachers still playing a role in supporting their students. That's great. You mentioned a moment ago that some countries were not prepared to face this crisis. Do you think, based on the experience and this partnership and all the work that you have been doing these months, that OECD countries have faced the pandemic with more advantage than non-OECD countries? Yeah, probably more affluent countries have had more advantages. They have more digital technology infrastructure that they could mobilize a lot of learning resources. Sometimes, in fact, one of the problems was that they had too many. But they had the same problem of not really being prepared. In some ways, they have also faced similar challenges. If you think of the digital divide, some of them became more aware of the internal gap within the country. Suddenly comes a crisis. And what do we see? That, yes, people in OECD countries, they have access to devices, to the internet, where they have access to perhaps to one device, one computer at home. But now several people have to use them when everyone is at home, parents, children. They've realized that nutrition was still a problem and that if you are from in a poor family, most likely your parents would not be able to support you or they would have lost their job. The inequity and the gaps between different groups, different types of access to materials have become much, much more visible, including within OECD countries. The variation within the countries is really enormous. Think of a country like the United States. In some districts, one of the first things that was done was to extend the meal packages to the whole family. In other districts, they would have an intelligent tutoring system. They would have classes all the time, coached by the teachers. There was a very strong aspect of social welfare that had to be done. One of the things we've learned during the crisis, and perhaps that was one of the advantages of the OECD country, is that multimodal students, where you rely on a lot of different types of technology, are very important. And multimodal works even better when you have a good connectivity, because then you can do everything more or less. That's, uh, but even if you don't have everything, if you can use the different things that you have, including cheap, low-tech technologies, that's already something, and certainly this should be part of any future solution. Digital divide is also about how you teachers are able to use these things. One of the interesting aspects of the crisis is I've started to imagine new ways of using digital resources, technology, perhaps that we've started to think of how we can use in an intelligent way TV programs, radio programs. There's a lot of experimentation going on, and, and I would say that there is not less experimentation going on in OECD countries from what we can see. You have said so many interesting things. One is this idea of emphasizing the value of multi-channel strategies rather than one particular technology. One of the things that we have learned is the best technology is, is the appropriate integration of different technologies. The second element is this idea that within countries might be more inequalities than when you compare between countries. We still see a massive difference between urban and rural centers throughout different regions. Many of the conversations at the high level and the design of the policymaking have been focused on the delivery of the contents. But at the same time, you might have the most effective ways of delivering, but not necessarily the effective integration of these resources to make a learning experience really meaningful. The OECD has been providing extremely helpful resources in which they have highlighted that proper deployment of technology might not lead to better improvement in the learning. Why is it so difficult to make technology serve and amplify the opportunities for learning? One of the things that we have to do is to rethink the role of technology in education. What we've always said at the OECD is that technology indeed is just a tool to power 
pedagogy. The teaching and the learning is really what matters. Technology can be an important tool, but it's not going to teach in itself. It's not going to bring so much value in itself if, if it's not used in a certain way. So you can have as much technology as you want. It's not necessarily going to change much. Now let's step back. Let me qualify a little bit what I've said here. This is true. This does not imply that you should not have any technology, that you do not have any infrastructure. In addition to the books, the resources, the electricity, the food and technology, that's just one of the different things that teachers have to work with. So you have different types of possible roles for it, but it's not going in itself to change everything. You need to have a good teacher who knows what to do with these resources, who will be able to support the learners in what they're doing and who will be able to propose to the learners rich learnings that meet their current requirements. That's something where technology can play a role. So who are those least and most affected by COVID? I think everyone has been affected. They didn't have enough education or they didn't have the quality of education that they deserve. There will be some reduced learning gains in most countries for the younger children. So those who couldn't have the autonomy to access many of the nice resources that were provided to them by governments and other non-governmental organizations. But it's also the children from more disadvantaged backgrounds, those from socioeconomic backgrounds who were the most affected. In some cases, that's also the people who lost their job or those who had to go to work and while others were teleworking or those who don't have the conditions at home to work in a nice way because they live in smaller places. This is true sometimes in the rural areas. It's true for the children with special needs who need more attention. Everyone has really been affected. Of course, there are a few people who were affected positively. Tech providers who managed to sell many licenses to do virtual classes, proctoring solutions for where there were some tests. Some of the companies doing a big standardized assessment have suffered as well because so many of those tests have been canceled throughout the world. But I hope that beyond the group that has been affected, there is something positive that comes out of it and that we find some ways to reinvent education in such a way that, in fact, those gaps that we have observed during the crisis are decreased and bridged. In the case of the OECD countries, the United States is one of the surprises. Of course, it is a continent-sized country, but there is so much discrepancy. For example, the Fallon Academy on a poor district in, in the U.S., some of those districts and the thing that they had to do is exactly the same as what we have seen in many Latin American countries. Of course, there are some other districts in the U.S. where the conditions were totally different. India surprised me. What they've done in Madhya Pradesh, they managed to create quick partnerships, have inventive solutions that were very adapted to the local context that they had, usually relying on, on multimodal approaches, mainly TV, engaging the communities, engaging the teachers that were working with them, distributing devices, organizing social events so that people could come and learn, watch uh, all these different things, having new social initiatives like what they've called the village learning circles. One of the big limitations of you know, what we have seen is that we don't know yet what is the impact. So we know for many of them that it's extremely unlikely that they have had the same impact as regular teaching. That's why we believe that there are going to be reduced learning gains this year for many of the students. That's the sad part. But what is surprising is how so much energy managed to be mobilized and how attention to people from disadvantaged backgrounds 
and communities was given a lot of initiatives for them, of course, which may not have totally met all the needs that they had, but there were many, many things that were happening. Some people say that there's an before and after the pandemic, the things will change massively. The pandemic, it was a forced experiment where people had to use technology. It has made technology and digital resources much more visible to everyone, both the good sides and the downsides as well. Technology will be more prevalent after the pandemic. Work will change for many people. There will be more telework. Uh, some aspect of the organization of schooling, what I think can happen in the near future in, in schooling and, and in education, is basically a different way of thinking the organization of schooling, probably with different uses of technology and technology tools so that people will use in a different way the time when they are face-to-face not just to do flip classroom, but to have discussions, or they will deal with a time where students are no longer at school, but at home. Homework is still one part of the common part of schooling, but, but do it slightly differently and using all these remote tools. Another thing that I believe the pandemic has changed, and I believe that would be something very important for the future of education, is the role of parents. Get the parents much more involved in the education of their children which may mean to change a little bit the way we think about education, because in the past, parents were much more involved in the education of their children. But of course, they were just helping their children learn about physics or the moon or history. There sh- perhaps should be a different way of thinking of the role of parents. What we've learned is that they don't want to be the teachers. Probably they should not be the teachers, but they can still play a bigger role in what we would relate to education, not as just a rising children, but something which would be in between academic education and what currently their role in their homes. By 21, an important policy discussion I can see happening is how can we be better prepared for the next pandemic? And what is a new role that technology resources should look like? What is basically the minimal infrastructure that a country should have to be able to use in a meaningful way the digital resources that it has developed? When we try to curate many of the learning resources, there are many. There is no common taxonomy to classify them. And perhaps this is a problem that we could try to solve internationally. I love the idea that we are exploring the future and you are bringing the family back to the learning experience. I think this is fantastic because it it shows us that we can bring things from the past. Sometimes we haven't given enough attention these days and we learn that they are critically important. So thank you for that. And finally, would you like to share with us one book that you would recommend to the audience? One that I've read recently is a novel called Machines Like Me by Ian McEwan, a British novelist. And it's a very nice story about the future of robots when robots will become as good as, as human beings. So it's a very interesting reflection on that that helps us think about what it means to be a human being right now and what we can expect. There are a lot of very interesting things that are being developed right now at the frontier that perhaps we would have liked to have during the the pandemic. Social robots that help students learn. And when I say robot, I'm not thinking of a big robot like the one we see in Star Wars, but sometimes, you know, small, cute robot that speak to the students, make mistakes so that the students teach them or just keep them engaged in what they are doing. And so we are not there yet, but... All the, this movement around personalization and giving diagnoses, predictive things, is currently being applied in a lot of different domains. And 
I would say that perhaps one of the things that we have missed during the crisis was how to navigate the wealth of learning resources that are out there in an intelligent way. Perhaps we are going to have this type of intelligent system that will help teachers to recommend good resources to their students or which will help students to continue to make progress. One of the big challenges during the crisis was how to keep the students engaged and keep interactions between teachers and students. Technology has helped in some ways with WhatsApp, with the video calls, with just even calls. There was very interesting ways of doing that, which were face-to-face with a physical distance. But we could imagine that there could have been more interesting ways of doing that in a more integrated way. And perhaps this is something that we'll consider. So I believe that the technological infrastructure that education will have, even if it looks in many ways not so differently from the education that we currently know, will be very different. Adaptive technology and chatbots, I definitely think we will have to record a, a podcast on that because it's such a great topic. And finally, a call to action, a key message that you would like to share with the listeners. We can learn from each other and do things to improve people's learning and people's life. That's really what we have seen across the world during the pandemic. And so my call to action is that let's continue with uh, this good spirit of energy, innovation, and good leadership after the crisis as well. We can really learn and you know, not to go back to the old normal, but to go back to an improved new normal that will make everyone learn and be engaged in the education process. Stefan, has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your leadership in this partnership between the OECD, Harvard, 100, and the World Bank. Thank you for the wonderful things that we will develop in the next months. Thank you very much, and thank you to you. A real pleasure to, to work with you.